Because faith comes through hearing the message of Christ, this sermon has been uploaded for you by Grace Unlimited, a ministry that functions out of Living Hope Church, Pretoria, South Africa. We want Jesus Christ to have first place in everything in our church. And we want to help you know and follow Jesus in all of life and to help others do the same. Find out more or download many more free sermons at graceunlimited.co.za or livinghopechurch.co.za. It is really a joy for me this morning to be here standing before you and open the word of God with you. So I'm going to read from verse number 9 of chapter 9 through 13. Verse 9. As Jesus passed on from there, he saw a man called Matthew sitting at the text booth. And he said to him, follow me. And he rose and followed him. And as Jesus reclined the table in the house, behold, many text collectors and sinners came and were reclining with Jesus and his disciples. And when the Pharisees saw this, they said to his disciples, why does your teacher eat with text collectors and sinners? But when he heard it, he said, Those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. Go and learn what this means. I desire mercy and not sacrifice. For I came not to call the righteous, but sinners. Let's pray. Our God in heaven, you are indeed amazing. As Brother Safari was just saying, who is a God like you? What a privilege it is to know you and to be known by you. Thank you that you are God and we are not. Thank you that you sit on your throne ruling over everything and we are not there because we cannot do any of the things that you do you are the one who has made all things and everything belongs to you there is nothing that has been made that did not come from you we bless your name for you are majestic God we bless your name for you have worked even salvation for mere men like us so we can come and be able to fellowship and to know you through your son the lord jesus christ it is him that we have gathered here to focus our attention on we are needy people we know our hearts are even prone to wander indeed and that's why we come and we ask that you would help us to slow down and focus on what you have to say from your word. What a privilege it is to have the creator of the universe speak to us. Help us to listen. In Jesus' name. 
Amen. Before I even begin, I just want to remind the kids that are here, the word that you will be listening to is the word sinner. So you're going to work very hard. There's a lot of sinner, 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 or sinners in this sermon. Our topic for today is a heart for the lost. This topic is very important for the church because we are surrounded by unbelievers wherever we are. And that the unbelievers around us should keep us busy, should keep us on our feet all the time, moving around because we are surrounded by unbelievers everywhere. And I'm talking to us who are believers today here. Knowing that we have believers around us should encourage us to continue pressing on in obeying the Great Commission. And that is to make disciples of all the nations. However, when we look around, when we look at ourselves, we look at our activities, many a times we see that that is not the case. We're not all about going out and making disciples. Many a times, there are other things that might be preoccupying us more than this great commission that the Lord Jesus Christ has given to us as his church. Instead of going out and seeing unbelievers wherever we are, we sort of get used to the idea that there will be unbelievers, that there are unbelievers. I mean, there are unbelievers everywhere. I mean, what can you do about it? And that should not be. That should not be. My hope as I stand here this uh, morning is to challenge you and is to encourage you to change how you look at the people that are around you. I know we could have, you know, we could, maybe we can say, you know what, we have gotten used to this idea that believers will always be around us. But do you see them? Even as you think like that, do you see them? And I want to challenge you and encourage you to open your eyes to the people who are around you. Not necessarily here, but where you live. I want you to see people as saved and as unsaved. In 2 Corinthians 2, 2 Corinthians 5, verse 16, Paul writes, he says, From now on, therefore, we regard no one according to the flesh. Even though we once regarded Christ like that, according to the flesh, we regard him thus no longer. We must treat people not because of how they look on the outside. A lot of times we pay attention to how people look on the outside. But we are believers. We are the church of God. And we're not just a church. We are a church that has been commissioned. We have been given the great commission to make disciples of all nations. So as we go around, as we look around, we want to see people as saved, belonging to our King. Saved, belonging to the Lord Jesus Christ. Or unsaved. We are sent to the unsaved. 
if we have believers that are unbelievers around us, they are our mission field. And we are the people that have been sent out to go to them. And just so we understand the opportunity that we have as a church, I want us to just consider some statistics. Because some people, I know they like the numbers, just so that they can really understand. According to the UN, the world's population was projected to reach 8 billion by last year, November. In particular, the particular date was the 15th of November. They said, the whole world, people have come to 8 billion. Can you imagine how many people those are? The Joshua Project estimates that the population of the unreached people comes to about 3.4 billion. And that is about 42% of the world's population. And what they mean by unreached people, these are people who have no opportunity of hearing the gospel. They have no opportunity at all of hearing about the Lord Jesus Christ. They don't have a chance to hear about the love, the Father's love that we're singing about. They don't have a chance because they don't even have the Bible in their language. They don't have any believer for hundreds and hundreds and hundreds or thousands of kilometers from where they are. Someone who can come and tell them about Jesus. This number of the unreached people, 3.4 billion, just shows us how much work, how much task still remains for us as a church. There's still so much that needs to be done. We have been commissioned to go out. And that commission is to me and you if you're sitting here as a believer. It is us. And while we think of the unreached people, those 3.4 billion people that are out there, important as they are, we must not forget that there are people who are reached, but yet they are not saved. I mean, there are people in South Africa, there are people in Zimbabwe, there are people in Mozambique, there are people in all the other countries that you might know of in our continent who are reached, meaning they have a Bible in their own language. They know you even as a believer. They have a church around you. Here in Pretoria, hundreds and hundreds of churches around. But there are people who are reached according to the definition of the reached and unreached. But those people still do not believe. As you sit here today, I'm sure you know people who do not believe. Some of them say they believe they are Christians, just nominal Christians, but they don't have that conviction. Some people just say, they like to say, yes, I'm a believer, but they're not really there. They reached, but they're not really believers. They're not followers of the Lord Jesus Christ. They have access to the gospel. It is all around them, but they still really do not believe it. Think of your neighbors. Think of your classmates. Think of your brother or sister. Think of your parents. Think of your children. All those people need Jesus. 
and we are sent to reach them. God is calling me and you to see them. To not get used to the idea that they are unbelievers, but to see them beyond what we see on the outside. To go into the heart and know that, hey, they are unbelievers. And if at any moment they dropped and they died, they will be separated from God forever in hell. We want to love these people. We want to love our family members who are not saved. We want to love our neighbors who are not saved. We want to love that guy that is out there asking for that two rand every day when you're parking. You want to see beyond how he looks to his heart. Is he saved? Is he not? We want to care. Care so that we are willing to die to ourselves for their sake. And that is what I want us to talk about here today. There are three points of our text. As we think about the lost, as I've said there, the topic for today is the heart for the lost. And we're going to look at the example of the Lord Jesus Christ. And the first point that we're going to look at, we're going to look at Jesus. Jesus, the friend of sinners. That will be in verse number 9 through verse 10. The second point we'll look at is the self-righteous sinners who miss Jesus. And that will be in verse 11. And then finally, we will look at the sinners Jesus saves. And that is verse 12. And 13. And now we can look at our text. <clears throat> Verse 9 says, the first point there, Jesus, a friend of sinners. Verse 9. As Jesus passed on from there, he saw a man called Matthew sitting at the text booth. When we read something like that, the question that you have to ask is, where was Jesus? Where was he coming from? Where, where was he going? The setting of the scene is in Capernaum. Capernaum was a small fishing and agricultural village. It was a commercial center of the eastern part of Galilee. It lay on the path of the three major routes. If you can move just maybe some two slides down. I actually have put that slide just to actually just to help you see what I'm talking about because it's going to be very important to understand what is actually just going on. Capernaum lay on the path of three major routes. So it was a very strategic city or village, if you may call it. There were different routes that people would travel in in the ancient days. And there is Capernaum right on the top, that small village that you see there. And the yellow are the major routes that people would travel on. And this one here, right at the bottom, is the Great International Highway connecting all the way from Egypt past Jerusalem and it would pass and it would pass through Capernaum and because of all these major routes that passed through this city it made this city very busy in terms of trade because whatever goods that were pa was passing 
come from Africa, go all the way up to the north, would pass via Capenham. Capenham was the chosen city or chosen hometown of the Lord Jesus Christ. We know the story. Jesus was born in Bethlehem. He settled there in Nazareth. And Nazareth is the place that is highlighted there in red at the bottom. But the Lord Jesus Christ, we know, moved away from Nazareth. And he went and he stayed in Capernaum. So the story, even as we read it, we find it right up there by the Sea of Galilee, which is the blue that you see there on your map. And that is going to be very important because the scene as we talk about it in here takes place right by that Sea of Galilee. And then in our passage, before calling Matthew, Jesus has just healed a paralytic who was brought to him laying on a bed by his four friends. The Lord Jesus Christ saw the faith that his friends had, and then he healed the paralytic. And it is after this healing miracle that Jesus went and he walked by that sea of Galilee, where he continued to teach the crowd that was following him. He just healed the paralytic. People are amazed at the miracle that he has just done. And he goes out now to the Sea of Galilee, and they're following him. As he passed by, he saw Matthew, who was sitting by his text booth. Text collectors like Matthew were Jews who worked to collect taxes on behalf of the Roman government. The Roman government at the time, these, the Romans were the occupiers of the land of Israel. You know, the, land of his, the people of Israel were promised land by God. They were going to be given that promised land. Now at this time, they were not ruling in their own land that God had given them. The Romans had power over them. The Romans had the last say over whatever that was actually just happening around them. And to collect money, as you know, that governments rely on taxes. They are tax collectors. This is what these tax collectors would do. They would be subcontractors. They would buy franchises from the Roman government and go set up you know, their tax collection points and collect money from the people. They were required to collect a specified amount of taxes for Rome. And anything that they collected beyond whatever that would have been specified, they would keep for themselves as profit. And because of the power of taxation, you know how people love money, how governments love money. Because of this power of taxation, there was virtually unlimited power that these guys had. They could enforce their power. If you didn't want to pay taxes, they could come and use the military to come and make sure you pay your taxes. They would force you if you didn't want to pay. And many a times, they used that right that they had to punish people so they can get money out of them. And for, this, for, for, this, some of, for these reasons, the tax collectors were considered traitors. They were considered traitors by their own people. They were even more despised at times more than the Roman officials themselves. Because these would be Jews. These are the Jews working for occupiers of the land, taxing and forcing their own people to pay money to this government. Locals like Matthew 
were preferred by Rome because they obviously knew the businesses of what was going on around their cities. They knew the area, they knew the people, they knew the, 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 the routes and everything that was going on around there. So they were preferred. And by nature of their position, these tax collectors had no other choice but to be loyal first to Rome. And often these people were either corrupt or perceived to be very corrupt. They would collect more than what was necessary so they could pocket the extra. They took bribes from the wealthy so that they can falsify the payments of taxes that the wealthy were paying. And they would tax the poor, the low class, they would tax them even more to get more from them. And because of their dealings, the tax collectors were often very, very wealthy men. They gained their wealth at the expense of their people and by the help of Rome. And they were hated. They were hated by everyone. But they did not care. They did not care at all. And because of where Capernaum was, when you look at this Matthew here, they say, Matthew writes that he was sitting in a text booth. Capernaum being on the major route, it is possible that maybe Matthew here collected custom taxes or toll taxes for people that would pass. Everyone would just pay. If you think of a toll gate that is there, he is there on his booth, and everyone that is passing is making sure that all goods that are there, you pay the taxes for this place. And he's making the money that he needs to make. He must have been a small tax collector. And why? Because Matthew is the one sitting in the, in the tax booth. And I'm saying this because there were big tax collectors. There's one gentleman in the Bible, that short man, Zacchaeus. He is said to be a chief tax collector. The chief, chief, chief tax collectors did not have to do taxes for themselves. They would hire people. They were bosses. They had people who worked under them. And there is Matthew. He's there sitting in his tax booth as that low guy, but still making a lot of money. What is striking as you read this passage about Jesus is that when he saw Matthew, he did not just see a tax collector. Instead, he saw a man who needed salvation. He saw Matthew for who he really was. A sinner. Not because he was a tax collector. As the religious people of the day would have thought. Instead, Matthew was a sinner. Because like all other men who are born and came from the line of Adam, are born into sin. Matthew, just like all of us, is a sinner. Like every other man who has ever walked the earth is born into sin. And that is what Jesus saw in Matthew. Matthew might, might have looked like he had it all together. He might have looked like he actually owned everything. I mean, he had the money. Something that most people spend all their lives pursuing. I mean, you walk around, you ask people, what are you living for? They tell you money. Matthew had all the money. However, inside he was still empty just a sinner, like every other man. He did not have God, so he could not have had hope. 
He was a man who looked all good on the outside. On the inside, he was dead. No life in him at all. He was, a, he was carrying a burden. He was carrying a heavy load that he could not take from himself. No one could take it off him. Not even his money could buy him that freedom that he needed to take away that burden of sin that weighed heavily on him. He couldn't buy forgiveness. His money could not do anything for him. He was there every day waking up to go sit there but inside lifeless. That's many people who live. That's many people who are walking around look all okay on the outside very empty on the inside and not because they had a bad day but because they don't have God there's no hope for them Matthew was so hopeless he was regarded as an outcast by religious leaders because he was a tax collector the religious leaders who were supposed to even help him know God Help him, teach him the word of God Regarded him as an outcast He was like out there He could not even come even to their meetings They didn't want him anywhere close to where they are They were going to be made unclean by people like him So there is the man empty dead There by himself With no chance of getting close To even hearing about God But it was not so with Jesus He had mercy on him Jesus had Matthew a mercy on Matthew the text does not mention that Jesus had mercy on him but we know the heart of Jesus that he cares for sinners and the broken Jesus himself invites all who are broken to come to him to find rest in him Look at what Matthew writes in Matthew 11, verse 28 to 29. It says, Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. Matthew, again, in the same gospel, in Matthew 12, writes, quoting the prophet Isaiah, about the actions and the demeanor of the Messiah who was to come. Matthew again writes about the Lord Jesus Christ, the coming Messiah. Behold my servant whom I have chosen, my beloved with whom my soul is well pleased. In verse 20, a bruised reed he will not break, and a smoldering wick he will not quench. Matthew, the text collector, was that bruised reed. He was fit for nothing of spiritual significance in the eyes of the religious people. He was a total outcast. Like a bruised reed, the only thing that was good for him was to be cut and to be thrown away. He was of no use, particularly to those that were very religious. But when Jesus saw him, he had compassion on him. And so he called him. Matthew, come, follow me. Jesus' call was a call of salvation to a man who probably believed that he was good for nothing. 
Matthew could not resist the, the power of the call of Jesus to follow him. And guess what he did? So he rose and he followed. Luke, writing of the same account, adds the detail that he actually rose and followed Jesus, leaving behind everything. Matthew's actions signified his conversion. He left his previous life behind and followed Jesus, and he never looked back. There is no evidence in all the gospel that there was any prior meeting or interaction between Matthew and Jesus until that moment when Jesus called him. However, since Capernaum was small, it is possible that Matthew knew about Jesus and his works because the fame of Jesus was going on everywhere. Everyone was talking about him because he was healing people on every side. By the Sea of Galilee, the Lord Jesus Christ made many turns around there doing his miracles and the crowd was following him around the area. So it's possible that through whatever that was here happening around, Matthew heard about this Jesus. And finally on this day, this Jesus passed by his booth. We only see that Matthew was ready to leave everything the minute Jesus called. And so it is possible that Matthew was already convicted of his sin and he knew that he needed forgiveness. He left a good paying job and a comfortable life in exchange for eternal life. The Lord Jesus said, those who lose their life for his sake will find it. And that is what happened to Matthew here. He was given a new start, a new life. Today we have the gospel, the book that we just opened, that we read, where we find all these texts. It is written by the same guy, Matthew, because God used him, and together with all the other apostles, as witnesses of the life and death and the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. We have reason to praise God for what he's able to do in the life of sinners. We have to praise God who is able to take a despised man like Matthew, a religious outcast, and make him into an, into an apostle whose name will be on the foundation of the new city, the new Jerusalem, when we read in Revelation 21, verse 14. So what we see here in verse number 9, we see Jesus, a friend of sinners, going after Matthew. A man who everyone else had regarded as an outcast. Jesus does not write anyone off. They did not just call him a friend of sinners. For nothing. He did not write anyone off. It does not matter how anyone looked on the outside. And if Jesus did not write anyone off, we must not. We must not. As we move now to verse 10, still under that same point, Jesus, the friend of sinners. Verse 10, again, we see Jesus' heart by how he dined with more outcasts. We read there, as Jesus reclined at the table in the house, behold, many tax collectors and sinners came and were reclining with Jesus and his disciples. Matthew does not tell us everything about how it happened that Jesus now was reclining on the table. It's like Jesus calls Matthew, Matthew's Matthew follows, and then now they are reclining by the table. We're like, what really happened here? What, what happened? 
I guess what we see here is Matthew's humility. Because the Matthew that is writing the story is writing about himself. Instead, it is Luke who writes the same account and tells us that after his conversion, what Matthew did is he held a big feast in honor of the Lord Jesus Christ when we read in, in Luke 5 verse 29. Matthew's actions show his joy and gratitude. He follows Jesus and immediately he goes and he throws a party for the Lord Jesus Christ. He says, you're going to feast at my house tonight. Because he was forgiven much, Matthew wanted his colleagues and his friends, the other outcasts just like him, to come to Jesus so that they can have life. He did not just throw a party for him alone and Jesus Christ and the other disciples. He went and actually called the other tax collectors. He went and he called those that were considered sinners to say, come, come dine at my house. He didn't want to leave them behind. He cared so much because he was forgiven so much. And I think with that, I just want you to see what grace and mercy, grace and mercy of the Lord Jesus Christ is able to do in a person's life. Matthew showered Jesus with love and he brought his friends. He says, come, I want you to taste this. Come see. And we read that around the table was tax collectors and sinners. And this was really just Jesus and the gathering of the outcasts. It is interesting that the other group of people is just called sinners. There's tax collectors and there's sinners. Sinners in those days referred to two special groups. The first group was majority of the Jews who did not follow the stricter regulations of the Pharisees. And the second it, the, second, the second one referred to the grievous sinners. That is the criminals. The bad of the bad. The prostitutes. The drunkards. The disgraceful people in society. It is this second group that Matthew seems to refer to here when he, when he says sinners. It is impossible to think that he could be referring to the first group when majority of the Jews, including some disciples of the Pharisees, fell within that first category. No one wanted to associate with the second group. No one wanted to associate with the bed of the bed. Because if you did, you actually risked being kicked out of the religious gatherings of the Jews. Because the bed of the bed were considered unclean. These are the people that no one wanted to come close to. They needed to stay there. Because if you come close to them, they will make you unclean. And if you are unclean, you cannot come into the gathering of the religious people. Actually, one of the reasons tax collectors were also regarded as ceremonially unclean is because they were always in contact with Gentiles. As they're sitting there in their tax booth collecting all this money, the people passing through these roads, some of them were like pagans of the pagans, murderers. So all these tax collectors were touching and mingling with all these people. And so for that, they were ceremonially unclean. You don't want to hang out with people like that. But Jesus' heart for sinners is seen in how he did not refuse Matthew's invitation. When Matthew says, you're going to come and you're going to dine at my house, he did not say, nope, I'm not coming because I know your friends. 
I know the people that you hang out with. Jesus did not concern himself about how it would look to the religious people. He used every opportunity around, around him to be with unbelievers so that he can teach them and so that they can see him. Another good example that we see is in Luke 7, verse 36 to 40, where a woman with an alabaster jar came when Jesus was reclining again at another table. Now this was like a, a house of the Pharisees. And when she came, and then she, she, she wet his feet with her tears, wiping it with her, with her hair, and then she took that ointment that she had and wiped and, and anointing his feet. The Pharisee was hosting him. He's like, whoa! If, if this man was a prophet, he would know what type of a woman this is who's touching him. Because it says there, she was a sinner. They could not believe what was happening and why would he allow a woman like that to touch him? Like what? If he was a prophet, he would have known even what type of woman this is. But that was the Lord Jesus Christ. So we see that Jesus was a friend of sinners. And that he came to save sinners. And was very pleased to welcome sinners who were open to the gospel. Sorry for their sins. And on their way to putting their faith in him. He did not avoid them. He did not push them away. He did not like overlook them. He did not forget them. Not even one moment. He did not forget the sinners that were around him. And that he was a friend of sinners or called a friend of sinners. It does not mean that he condoned sin. It does not mean that he promoted sin. He knew that those people who were sinners needed him. Because he was their only solution. He is a savior who cares about the lost. He is merciful and it hurts him. And moves him to see people in their sin. And Jesus wants sinners saved. He wants them to see him and to know him. And the question I want to ask you before we move to the second point is what about us? What about you? Do you want unbelievers to see and know Jesus? I want us and I hope that we we'll desire to be like our Lord. To be known as a friend of sinners. Because they are everywhere around us. Second point. The self-righteous sinners miss Jesus. Verse 11. We read there that and when the Pharisees saw this, they said to his disciples, why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? Here we see the real character of the religious leaders and their attitudes towards tax collectors and the sinners. They could not believe what was happening. To them, it was really unthinkable to see someone who said is a teacher or whom they considered as a teacher to associate with the company of people that made you kept there in his house. To greet and to talk with a sinner or a tax collector was bad enough. But eating with them, sitting around the table with them, that was too far. You were not just like greeting and say, hi, bye, it's okay, I'm going to move on. It means you took such people as your own friends. 
And that is why these Pharisees, they looked at this and they could not believe themselves. And they could not take it and they had to break their silence. They could not have been also present in this meeting. When you read there in the text, it says they saw. They could not have been present at this feast because of the sinners that were present. So when we read there in the text that they saw, it does not necessarily mean that they were part of the, 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 the feast themselves. They could, they could have seen what was happening from the outside of the house or heard from others or their disciple who witnessed what was happening. Capernaum was a small city and so news could travel across very quickly, especially to the ears of the religious leaders like these Pharisees who actually had a special interest in Jesus. What is interesting from their action is that they do not complain to Jesus. They don't go to him directly. They go to his disciples. Their action somehow shows that they had some sort of respect for Jesus as a teacher. So they don't go to him. They go to his disciples. And because they had some respect for him as a teacher and considered him as a teacher, that is why for them it was really unthinkable that a teacher who teaches the law and is doing all these things can be doing what Jesus is doing when they were not doing it and they were the teachers of the law. It just could not click for them. But what we see is that these religious leaders were on the total opposite side. They were totally opposed, the opposite of what Jesus was. Why? Because they lacked compassion. They were leaders who were supposed to teach and help people to help sinners find God. But that was not their concern. They did not care about the spiritual conditions of others because they didn't want to be made unclean. Hanging out with sinners would make them unclean. So like, away with sinners. We don't want to be unclean. They were not willing to go out of their way to help others follow God. Basically, they did not have the heart of God. Nor did they understand him. Because they were self-absorbed and concerned only about their own outward appearance. And also the outward appearance of the people that were around them. They missed the opportunity to lead sinners to God. And they missed the opportunity to see Jesus. They missed what Jesus was doing for others. And they missed what Jesus could do for them. The good news, when you look at the questions, when you look at what these Pharisees are doing, the good news is Jesus cared even for the Pharisees. It's not like Jesus was like, these ones, I'm done with them. I'm going to deal with the tax collectors. I'm going to deal only with the sinners. These ones, I'm done with them. When they come and they complain and they show their concern, opening their heart, revealing what's going on in their hearts, Jesus cares even for them too. He cares for them too. And we know, you know why? Because he responds to them. He doesn't leave their concerns go unanswered. He comes and he responds to what they're raising. He wanted them to see him. Just as much as he wanted the tax collectors to see him. Just as he wanted the sinners to see him. He wanted the Pharisees to see him. So they could stop trusting in themselves and their works. Because that is what caused them to miss Jesus. 
they were trusting in themselves. They were looking at themselves, considering whatever that they were doing on the outside. All of that blinded them from seeing Jesus, seeing what he was doing for others and what he could do for them. But what kind of people see Jesus? If these Pharisees, because of the way they did, they did miss Jesus and they could not see him, what kind of people would see Jesus? The last point. The sinners that Jesus saves. Verse 12 and 13. But when he had it in his response, Jesus said, Those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. Go and learn what this means. I desire mercy and not sacrifice. For I came not to call the righteous, but sinners. Jesus' disciples must have informed him, obviously, of the concerns of the Pharisees, because it was actually poised to them. And Jesus responded to show these Pharisees two things. He shows them that they were not concerned about the right things, and that he came for sinners who acknowledged their sins and, opened, and were open for the gospel. And to make his point, Jesus uses an example. He talks about human health. He spoke to them as their teacher. These are men who were supposed to be the teachers, regarded themselves as teachers. The people regarded them as their teachers. But what they are concerned about, and because of what they are not really seeing in Jesus, and what they are not seeing in what Jesus is doing for others, he realized that they are not as learned as they think they are. So he actually now instructs them as a teacher. He wants to teach them. He uses a very simple everyday example, but this example is loaded with spiritual meaning. It, is, it does this because, again, Jesus cared. He cared too much for them. And he wanted them to see their hearts. He wants the Pharisees to see their hearts because they were not beyond his mercy. And they were not beyond his power to save. I know a lot of times we read the Bible like, these Pharisees are so bad, 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 bad. But we know in Nicodemus, not beyond the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ, is able to save them. And in the example that the Lord Jesus Christ used, talking about human health, the sick are sinners. They are sick because they have sin. They have no relationship with God. And those who are well are those who are the righteous. They know God and he knows them. And Jesus is the doctor. He is the great physician who alone is able to cure their sin. The sinners and tax collectors that were around him were the sick and needed his medicine to be cured from their sickness. Jesus was not going to turn them away because he knew they, they needed him. He's the doctor and he was a responsible doctor. He wasn't going to turn them away. He wasn't going to avoid the sinners just like the other Pharisees did. He didn't want to conform to the ways of the Pharisees as they expected him to. He wasn't going to turn them away. What is said when we look at the Pharisees is that they thought they were well. They thought they needed no doctor. They thought they were all perfect. They thought they had it all together. 
But their problem was bigger than they could imagine. And this was a very serious issue, a heart issue. They were not going to find their forgiveness of their sins until they saw themselves as sinners. What makes the lost lost what makes unbelievers unbelievers is their sin that still separates them from God. The greatest problem that we all have as men is sin. Because that is what separates us from God and we cannot worship, we cannot come. Doesn't matter how many times I might come and I say the name of God. As long as my sin has not been dealt with. Not dealt with according to my own way. Dealt with according to the way of God. The terms of peace come from God. And he said, you look at my son. Look at my son. Put your faith, faith in him. Only in him would you find forgiveness of your sins. It doesn't matter how many times one prays. doesn't matter how many times one comes to church. It doesn't matter how many good works one is able to do. The terms of peace are clear. The offended is God. He is the Holy One. We are the sinners. And he says, my terms of peace, you look at my son. Look at my son. Put your faith in him. You will find forgiveness because he's the one I have sent to die for your sin. Because you cannot die for your sin and leave. The Pharisees thought they had their own way. They missed it. And that is what's said when we see this. And then in verse 13, Jesus tells them to go and learn what the words of Hosea mean. I desire mercy and not sacrifice. Taken from Isaiah 6 verse 6. These were words of rebuke because the Pharisees claimed they were the learned, as I said. But Jesus did not want them to go somewhere to learn what he actually wanted them is to understand the point that God was communicating through the words of Hosea. In that text in Hosea, God was calling Israel. What was happening there is Israel was not loyal to God. They were like an unfaithful woman who went out with all other men, forgot their husband. They were all out everywhere, worshipping all the idols. And God comes and he says, I want you to look at me. I don't want your lip service. I want your loyalty. I don't want your lip service. And loving God is doing what he commands. Loving him and loving your neighbor. Loving God is knowing who even God is. To live our lives according to what we know even about God. And he says, I desire mercy. I desire justice. This is what I want. I want you to care about people if you love me. The Pharisees missed it. They cared about themselves, did not care about people at all. They lacked mercy far away from God. They were happy to focus on religious rituals. They could give. They could actually just go and divide the exact, you know, gram of that spice that they needed to give. But the Lord Jesus Christ says, Woe to you! You are able to measure to that level. But where is your mercy? You're not concerned about people. You like all these things that you do 
that is on the outside and as a result you even look at people from the outside if one is doing something on a sabbath you go you're willing to go all out to actually just you know punish such a person you're looking on the outside but do you care do you care about people they didn't and what we see is that jesus was not so jesus was not like the pharisees he was committed to loving god and doing his will as he mingled with the sinners as he hung around with these sinners jesus commitment was to god the father he was doing his will the text exalts this jesus and his mercy towards sinners and i think that is the main point of this text here matthew wanted the jewish people to that he was writing to to see that jesus is the promised messiah who was to come he is the one who was going to take away their sins he was the one who was going to take away the sins of the world matthew as he wrote this gospel he was putting on display jesus saying look you have been waiting for years god made a promise he was going to bring you a messiah the messiah he has come it is him look at his heart look at how he does not turn and go to that bruised reed he does not look at the matthew and sends him away he doesn't look at the sinners and the tax collectors and send them away he's welcoming them because he's there for them he came to save them he's the hope for you israel he's the hope of the whole world look at him that is what matthew is doing in this gospel putting jesus in display to saying from back then when abraham came god promised us he's gonna send us that air this is him and as he shows jesus interacting and doing all these things he's just saying this is the work of god it is him and jesus as he comes here in verse 13 he ends by reminding everyone of his mission he says i came not to call the righteous it's not because there was anyone righteous but because there are those who thought they were righteous the self-righteous sinners who were missing him he said but i came for sinners basically when jesus called matthew and later he dined with him jesus was ex doing exactly what he came for he came for sinners for tax collectors for you and me and all other people who sin who were born into sin jesus saves all people who know and understand themselves to have fallen short of the standard of god we know our god is holy and we are not far from it he's separated from us we are not we know how fallen we are and christ came so that we can come and be reconciled with god all people have seen and there is no exception and no one else doesn't matter what they say no one can go to god except through the lord jesus christ no other religion can be able to do that no one will be saved unless 
he understands that he needs Jesus. Those who, like the Pharisees, who are sinful, yet think of themselves as righteous, miss the forgiveness that Jesus provides. Many people out there today do not know and understand their problem, the problem they have, the problem of sin. They think they are good people. But we know that no one is good before God. And going back to the introduction, there are many people who are reached, who know about Jesus, who know and can quote some scriptures. But do they really, really, really know? Do they know what you know if you are a believer sitting here today? Do they understand what you understand as a believer? And you and me here have the privilege to tell them about their problem. And not only so, we don't just tell them about the problem, but we also tell them about the solution that God has provided in Jesus. The question is, are you a friend of sinners? We are surrounded by unbelievers everywhere. Look around you where you live. Jesus came for them. He died for them. He lived the perfect life for them. And some of them don't know it. But you do. Some people talk about Jesus. But they do not understand the significance of Jesus. They can say his name, but you're like, what do you mean? Who is he? They don't understand it. Are you concerned for such people? Because Jesus is. And because we love Jesus, we want to make him known so that all people can worship the one true God. God is worthy of worship. He made us to worship him. And what should motivate us to go out should not be guilt. What should motivate us to go out and to love and to have that heart of the lost, for the lost, should not be free.